Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for uh, coming, and we trust that our service will be a blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, uh, please take them or your device that has the Bible on it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Peggy is not with me today. She left me for the weekend. Um, uh, and she's probably watching right now or like tuning in anyway on, on her journeys. But uh, yeah, a few years, several years ago when we moved back to Pennsylvania from Iowa, we actually lived in a dorm uh, at, at, up at the college at Clark Summit University, Baptist Bible College then. And uh, this weekend, some of the girls who were Peggy's RAs. I, now, to be, to be real honest with you, okay, I know that that whole journey was somehow my fault because why on earth would I have to live in a dorm with like 60 women? I'm, I'm sure it had to do something that I did wrong sometime in my past. I grew up with all brothers. My, the Walker family has been boys for generations and all of a sudden, I had to live with all these girls. And uh, well, anyway, some of her are, so I'm sure that's my fault somehow. But anyway, uh, some of her RAs kidnapped her this weekend. And uh, they went down to Lancaster and uh, had, had a great time. And they're on their way back now. But Peggy's not here today. And yet, all, all of the girls are love the Lord and are actively serving the Lord. And that's always a blessing to have young people that we invested in their lives to uh, yeah, go, on, go on for God. Um, yeah, Pastor Todd talked about the series that we're in, and one of the things that we want you to understand is that um, the Old Testament stories absolutely point to Jesus. And we want, we want to talk with you about that today. The story in Genesis 3 is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. But I, I want you to know, those of you that are Bible students and those of you that have um, read the Bible or a lot of the Bible will realize that most of the Bible is story, is a narrative. There's, there's parts of the Bible that are poetry. There's parts of the Bible that are history. And even that is, is a narrative, is a story. And there's parts of the Bible that are prophecy where God is telling us what's going to happen in the future. All of those are things that we should read and study and, and devour and so on. But obviously, stories are important to God. Christ often, when he spoke, told stories, parables. And so today, I want to talk with you. So I've entitled my message today, Once Upon a Time, I am... I am sure that that phrase is original with me. I'm sure it is. And then Paradise Lost, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, is in quotes because that's not original with me. And I'll, and I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Um, stories. When I was a kid, I, those of you, you know me pretty well by now. I, I, am, a, uh, I am a news junkie. And I am a sports junkie. I, I would not have TV for any other reason. If, if sports and, and news are on, I'm a happy man. And Peggy's mad at me. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, when I was, or years ago, it was on CBS on Saturday morning. Some of you will remember that on Saturday mornings on CBS, there was actually a story, or I mean a news report that was on for several weeks or several for a while called everyone has a story now they're all on youtube you can find them they're still really really interesting the reporter was a man by the name of steve hartman i googled it and looked it up steve hartman it started now this is old school it started in the studio where steve put a i mean i don't know him but steve hartman put a map of the united states behind him on a wall and he took a dart, this is the very first one, and he threw a dart over his shoulder, and wherever it landed on the map, randomly, CBS sent him there. And so he would go to wherever this random journey took him, and in those days, he would stop like at a gas station or a convenience store or something like that and look at a phone book. You know, I'm sure that 
those phone books that don't even exist anymore, but he would look in the phone book and literally just pick somebody and go find them and interview them and came to the conclusion that everybody, everyone has a story. And I, I love that idea. One of the things that I love about traveling and meeting people is just to get people to tell their story, tell where they're from, what do they do, what's their family like, what's the situation. And, and a lot of people, this, you'll be surprised about this, like to talk and like to talk about themselves. And, and, and I just want to, we'll get there today. I, I just want you to realize that God is at work in our lives and God is at work in your life and is at work in your story too. And we're going to talk about that today from a very familiar passage. And so let me go through this with you and we'll, this is a, this is a great narrative. It's a great, it's a great story. And, and let me read it for you. I'm going to put it up on the board, and, but you can turn to your copy of the scriptures, and I'll, I'll just read through it from the PowerPoint slides. Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is right after the creation of the universe, of the world. Pastor Todd talked with us about that. And he said to the woman, Eve, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Abraham and said to, said to him, Where are you? So he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it? What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And notice that that word seed is capitalized, talking about Jesus. And he, capital, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, capital H, heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You will bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to, for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And it, and it goes on. God had created 
the universe. God had created the world. God had also created a very special garden for Adam and Eve to dwell in. And there on your notes, it's, uh, it's, it's found, I, I gave you the reference in your notes, but that's back in Genesis chapter 2, and you can read that more uh, on your own. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Paradise Lost, I've, I've kind of borrowed that phrase from uh, John Milton. John Milton was uh, from London, from England, and in 1667, that was like right before I graduated from high school. I'm just kidding. 1600, 1667, he wrote this poem that the, the original version was 12 books long. I have not read it. I've read a condensed version of it in high school lit class, I think. But uh, it was, it was it, and it's this epic. And, and I, you know, it's hard to wade through. I mean, it's, I, I haven't ever read all the way through. But it's, it is. It's one of the best sellers, and it's still lasting to this day, all the way from 1667. Paradise Lost, about this story. Here, here's the point, the story. What God made, God had already declared that it was good, that it was very good. And he gave man the opportunity to dwell in this garden in paradise, if you will. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 2. And here's the thing. The thing that I'm going to head to <coughs> in the message this morning is, is, is this. And this, this passage kind of illustrates this and helps us understand. But there is this incredible balance in the person and in the work of God that I will admit to you that I don't, I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to champion it because I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the sovereignty of God. God's in control and I'm not. And I, I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm a big fan of the will of God. I mess up my life often enough that I've learned a long time ago that I better do the will of God and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. So I'm a big fan of God's sovereignty and God's will for my life. But the balance is that he also gives us as men the freedom to make dumb choices. And a lot of the things that mess up our lives and lead us into sin and patterns of sin is our dumb choices. And that's kind of the story of Adam and Eve here. That God put them there. We're going to see that in just a minute. But there, my description, dumb choices, ended up being a disaster and a disaster for man, mankind. And I don't understand that whole balance of God's sovereignty and our free will and our ability to make decisions. But that's what God does. And so we're going to accept that and learn from it and realize that God's given us these choices in life. And what God wants us to do, bottom line, God wants us to do. Pastor Todd has talked with us about this numerous times. What God wants us to do is just listen to him, obey him. He's given us his word. It's not all that hard. Obey God. And we'll talk about that. Probably in any story, this is going to be my outline today, talking about the story. And there's some other things that we're going to do, and we're going to try to learn from this passage. But here's the outline. We're going to look at the setting we're going to look at the characters. And then lastly, we're going to look at the plot of this story. And that's probably true in every single story, including yours, your story. And we'll talk about that at the very end. So here's the setting. I, I mentioned that you have this passage there in your notes. But if you look over to Genesis chapter 2, in the beginning of that chapter, it has this phrase in Genesis, or in, in that, that paragraph. Starting there with verse 8, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. In other words, here, here's the thing. Remember I mentioned I'm a big fan of the sovereignty of God and the will of God. God did this. And so the setting was paradise. The setting, read more about that in that chapter, Genesis 2. The setting of this garden was absolutely breathtaking. I mean, I look around and I've had the chance to travel and see some amazing things in God's creation. I think with all of the curse that we read about today and all of that, those are nothing compared to what it was like there. 
I mean, this probably was the most beautiful place in the entire earth. And Adam and Eve had a chance to be there. And God put them there. And so I think it's important to understand the principle, and we're going to get to this at the end again, is that this is what God had for their lives, the setting. And again, I'm going to get to this later on. Our circumstances, our lives, also live out that balance of God's sovereignty, that God does what He wants, and yet He has given us the freedom to make choices. And that probably all of us, at one stage or another, has has made bad choices. So here's the thing, where you're from, the circumstances that are out of your control. I think all of us need to realize that God's involved in all of that. Our parents, where we live, where we grew up, all of that is a God thing. I don't know all that God is doing with me and my background. I mean, I'm not dead yet, right? And so I, yet, so I understand that some of those things are of, of God. We've talked with the men on Wednesday nights um, about our background a little bit. And uh, I came to Christ. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in a church-going family. My parents took me to church the first Sunday I was ever alive. My parents were laymen. They were not ministry people at all. And uh, my parents loved church. They loved going to church, and they took their boys to church. I came to Christ when I was five years old. And I, 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 I grew up as a church kid. I grew up in Sunday school and youth group, vacation Bible school, all of those things. That was me. That's how I grew up. And I've often wondered, you know, it's like, okay, what does God do? I've told you this before. You know, God didn't save me from this life of drugs, you know. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I had this baby aspirin problem, you know. And Kevin, I'm kidding. You know, and, and what I really liked was that red liquid you know, liquid Tylenol when that came out, you know, and, uh, you know, God didn't save me from this, you know, I was in this motorcycle gang, you know, and I was this bad dude in the neighborhood. Well, actually, it was tricycles, you know, and that, or God saved me from this life of crime. You know, I stole a cookie once, you know, God didn't, but, but what, here's the thing about my life. You know what I've done for the last 45 years of my life? Work with church kids. God used my background to give me a ministry that has something that I've done ever since. I, I think God can use your background, too. You, some of you, because I know you, your background is, is radically different than mine. Now, again, your life has that balance. What is God doing in your life? And I'm going to smile real big, balanced with our dumb choices. And that's, that's the story of Adam and Eve. That's the setting unbelievable paradise and yet in that even Adam made some made some bad choices and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute so here's the characters the serpent um, which we have to go to the New Testament for the for God to tell us that I mean it's certainly implied but for God to tell us that the serpent in this story is the devil And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. And then Eve and then Adam. That's the order that the characters appear. And then ultimately the Lord God, Christ. Okay. Notice one thing in the verses that I read. I've taught you this before. And when the Bible uses the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital that's the word Jehovah. And so it is talking about Jesus. Pastor Todd talked about have we seen God and all that last, last time? Okay, this is talking about the pre-human God, Jesus. And so that's what this is talking about here in the story. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So let's look at the, let's look at the characters real quickly, all right? In, in Revelation, you can, you can just look these up later, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you to study this sometime. Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20, both of those clearly say the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So again, in the Old Testament story of Genesis 3, it doesn't say the serpent was Satan. It calls him a serpent. And that's a word that actually could be used of any beast of the field, except that the description says that God's going to make him crawl in his belly and all of that. I mean, a serpent, a snake. 
you know, and uh, we hear about that. The snake, you know, I, I don't know if you, you like snakes. I've known people that have um, snakes as pets. And uh, this week, the kids and I were at our house, and, uh, or, you know, I think Peggy was coming in from somewhere, and there was a, a little garter snake in my, in my garage this week, just a little garter snake. But I'll tell you a secret, I don't want that in my house. So I got him and took him out in the bushes and let him, let him go. But I, I don't have this endearment for a snake, right? And, and so the, the curse, it's, it still applies. But here it's talking about Satan or the devil. And it's clearly that that's what, what God is talking about. Now, let, let's get practical here in the, in the story, okay? This Satan tempted Eve and tempted, ultimately, Adam to disobey God and to disobey God's word. Let me read that again. In chapter 3, um, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God, questioning God, has God indeed said you shall not, that's a question mark, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Really? Is that really what God said? And the woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat of the trees of the fruit of the garden, but the tree, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows. And then the story continues. Let me just tell you this. And... Uh, I think, and we're going to talk more about this in just a second. For all of time, these two things have been the major part of Satan's strategy. Honestly, learn this from this story. That Satan's strategy has been from the beginning of time to question God's word, to question what God says, and then to reject, to disobey what God says. And, and we're going to look at this in just a minute. I gave you some verses there in the middle. But that is still Satan's strategy. To get us to question, is God indeed a question what God says? And then to get us to reject what God says. God, God didn't say that. God didn't mean that. For all of time, that's exactly what Satan's strategy is. Um, can I shoot straight with you? Um, my years of uh, being in the ministry, including serving here at Wyoming Valley Church, I have had people tell me, well, I believe this is what God wants me to do. And it's against the teaching of the Word of God. Satan loves to get us to question what God says or out and out reject what God says. And I'll tell you, there's really three key areas that I think he does that. I didn't put these in the notes. I'm just trying to shoot straight with you this morning. I think number one is the Bible, the Word of God, is, is where we learn what we believe. Now, I'm going to talk to you in just a second. Satan is a liar. And things that are not true, are not just factually true, are not of God. So, folks, get in the Word of God and study the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do here as a church. And to learn what, what do you believe based upon the Word of God. That is how we learn what we believe. That is how we learn how to avoid error. Um, it's a familiar story. The people that work in banks and in the National Mint or whatever and have to deal with counterfeit money, they don't do that by studying counterfeits. They do that by studying the real thing. Folks, study the, world, the real thing. That, that's number one. I think number two is that it is the Word of God that helps us resist temptation. That is why we need to put, thy, God, God, Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We're going to look at this passage in just a minute. Even Jesus himself in the New Testament, 
use the word of God to resist the temptation of Satan. Remember I told you that we have this balance, God's sovereignty and our free will? I think the thing that keeps us from making dumb choices more than anything else, anything else, folks, is if God's word is in our mind and God's word is in our hearts. And we can say, no, I'm not going to do that because God says not to do it. That helps us resist temptation. And then number three is the will of God. What we believe, resist temptation. Number three is the will of God, decisions for your life. Don't claim that God wants you to do something if it clearly in the Bible, God says, no, don't do that. God's word, it, it is Satan's strategy. And, and honestly, if we listen to those two things, people are questioning the word of God, people are rejecting the word of God, we're, we're on dangerous ground. And that, that's Satan's strategy from the beginning. Now, I'm going to, the next, the next passage, or the next in your notes, flip over to the middle. Uh, and, and before I go through these, I'm going to do this really quickly because I know we have communion today too. And I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm going to, I gave you the verses so that you could study it. But there in your notes, mine's just white. You have the, you have the orange ones. I, I told Pastor Todd this morning, um, I love creamsicles with the orange and the white paper in the middle. So I made creamsicle notes today. So yeah, just, okay. So on this page, the inside left page, I gave you a quick Bible study. Okay. And that's for you. I'm going to go through it really quickly, rapid fire, machine gun. But look at the last one. In James chapter 4, verse 7, honestly, it's, it's really easy. You, because I already have, should memorize this verse. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Our problem sometimes is we don't resist. Resist the devil. I claim that. I'm going to shout that from the mountaintops. Resist the devil. I have the power of Christ. The New Testament says we have the power of Christ, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Satan doesn't win. Right? Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Let's look at the verses. Okay, and, and look at the, uh, um, look at number six. And I, I'm, I'm going to go back and do them through order. But one, one thing quickly, look at, look at number six. It says there, let Satan should have it, get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So I would again clearly say, don't let Satan get an advantage of you. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. But here's what I'm trying to do today. It says not to be ignorant, dumb, stupid about Satan's devices, his schemes, his plots. Remember that verse all the, that, that, that back in the Old Testament that story that I read? It calls the serpent more cunning. That's a clue about the nature of Satan. It is. It's plot. It's behind the scenes. It's to sow discord and evil, and it's, it's a scheme. It's behind. Not to be ignorant of his devices. Satan is organized. Satan is smart. He's not omniscient, though. Only God is. And we need to be, not be ignorant of what Satan is trying to do. So let's go through this. John 8, 44. The devil was a murderer. From the beginning, Satan's goal in life, and, and I think he knows it, is, is death and death forever, the lake of fire. I'm going to show you where that is in just a minute. And there's no truth in him. Satan is a liar. Do not believe the lies of Satan. How do you know if by knowing the word of God? Do not believe the lies of Satan. Okay, number one. Number two. 1 Timothy 4.1, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving lies and doctrines or teachings of devils or demons. Satan is organized when Satan actually was an angel, Lucifer, that fell from heaven because of pride. 
Several other angels, his demons, fell with him. There are demons. The Bible talks about how they're organized. Satan not only is not omniscient, he's not omnipresent. Satan is not everywhere. But he has demons that are around, and we can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Here's a key point about this. Satan is a teacher. He loves to teach people false things and to get people to accept things that are wrong, that aren't true. And how do we know? The Bible, God has given us what is true. Folks, if there's a teacher that doesn't back up what he says from Scripture, don't listen. Don't fill your mind with that. My goodness, you're opening up for Satan's devices. The Bible clearly says that. In fact, Revelation 12, I told you that verse already. He deceives the whole world, and that's going to happen in the end times. Be careful of that. Revelation 12 says, The devil, the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before God day and night. One of the great stories in the Bible is the book of Job. In Job, I have that reference down there. Job tells the story. That, that book tells the story, which is the oldest book in the Bible, by the way. He tells the story about how Satan appears before God and accuses people before God. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan's the one that's telling you you're a bum. You're no good. You'll never accomplish anything. God can't use you. All of those are lies. Satan is the one that is telling believers, yeah, you're a bum. God can't use you. Your past is going to haunt you. All of those things are lies. That's not the Bible truth. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And be very careful because Satan is doing that even before God today. Number, whatever order it is, number four, be sober, be vigilant. Very key word, 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, remember I said just a second ago, I know I'm giving you a lot today, but he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once, but he walks around like a roaring lion, hungry. Seeking who he may devour. Satan is not everywhere at once. He's not. He has demons. They're not everywhere at once. They're not omnipresent. They're not everywhere at once. But he is walking around. And he's looking for weak, vulnerable Christians to pray, to destroy our lives. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Make sure you know what you believe. The Word of God, knowing that the same sufferings, <coughs> the same experiences are experienced by your brotherhood all around the world. That's what Satan's doing. Next, Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them, this is, I told you we'd talk about this, will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what's going to happen. Satan is a defeated foe. Satan knows he's a defeated foe. All he's got is to get as many people on his side as he can until then. And uh, that's, that's an important thing about the, the end of this story. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Second Corinthians 2.11 says there, well, I've talked to you about this, lest Satan should get advantage of us for not ignorant of his devices, his, his schemes. Ephesians 4.27, this is key, Okay. The word there says neither or do not give place to the devil. Let me, let me share something with you. That word place there in that passage, neither give place to the devil, that's the same word that the gospel used about the birth of Jesus. Okay, Remember when, before Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary went back to Bethlehem, right? That story? And they get to Bethlehem, and it says that there was no, what, room for them in the inn, right? Now, in our mind, we're thinking, you know, the Holiday Inn, right? There's, oh, you show up, and there's no rooms. And, oh, I'm sorry, sir, uh, you know, you don't have enough points, or you don't have enough, you know, whatever. There's no, it, it, no, room, no room means there wasn't any room in the foyer, there wasn't any room in the hallway, there wasn't any room... Uh, in the end, there's no room, no place at all. So Jesus was born in probably a cave, in a stable, in a manger, right? No room. So here it says, neither give place. That's a word that means room or any 
place at all. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your life by giving him the finger hold, by giving him a place. Neither give place to the devil. That's a key thing. And then James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We'll talk about this more in just a second. Christ wins, right? Christ wins. And uh, the setting, the, the story of the characters starts with the devil. Now, I, I've given you this chart, and I just want you to know the white sheet of paper, the inside of the creamsicle, is, is I'm going to do this real quickly, very quickly, because in this story, Satan tempts Eve in three areas, right? He says the tree, the fruit, it wasn't an apple tree. Fruit, we don't know, really know what it was. But he tells Eve that it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and it make you wise. Let me just say to you, and this is why I gave you the chart, and that is Satan is doing the same thing today, and I'm going to prove it. Satan is doing the same thing today. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do this, but if you were to look at Matthew 4, look at the middle column of my chart. In Matthew chapter 4, that's when Christ was fasting and Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And he tempted him by three things. He said, first of all, Jesus had fasted for 40 days. And Satan said to Jesus, turn the stones into bread. His strategy was to appeal to his flesh and to his human fleshly desires. He also says he takes Jesus up on the high mountain. He shows him everything in the world. He says, you bow down and worship me and all of these things, all of these things will be, be yours. He made what the world had to offer look good. And in every case, Jesus resisted him by Jesus, who could have spoke and, you know, and, and Satan would have been out of here. But he, that's part of his plan to glorify God. Jesus resisted temptation by quoting the word of God. And then he says, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and says, throw yourself down. The Bible says that your angels will bear yourself up even if you hit your foot on a stone. In other words, if he did that, Jesus did that, throw himself down. Yeah, his angels would have come and saved him. He's, he's God. He would have been saved. But everybody in Jerusalem, the pinnacle of the temple meant that's where all the people were, like Times Square. Like that's where all the people were. And so they would have realized Jesus is God before the time, before God's will would have been done. And in every time, say, in, in fact, you look at that story, Satan misquotes the word of God. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he took God's word out of context to Jesus. So he's not, he's not all that smart. I mean, the guy, the person that wrote the Bible. So he's not, he's not that smart. And, but Jesus resisted the temptation by quoting scripture. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, All that's in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The same thing. In fact, so here's Satan's strategy. Okay, He always is going to appeal to lust, to our sinful desires. That's what he did. He's always going to try to appeal to our, our human wants. Honestly, look at commercials. What Satan, if Satan can make the world look good to us, where we want the world, then he wins, and he's won. And I'll tell you another one. What Satan does, which he did to Eve in the story, and that is um, Satan's strategy is to make sin look good. Satan's strategy is to make sin look attractive. Like, if you do this, you'll be fulfilled. If you'll do this, you'll have a good feeling. If you do this, you'll get out of the mess you're in. You know, all of those things. Satan, Satan tempts us to steal. Satan tempts us to immorality. Satan tempts us to what, whatever the temptation is. This is how Satan works. And, and I took the time to do this because God's Word says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And so I think it's important that we took the time to, to do that. Now, Let's finish the story. The next characters are Adam and Eve. I'm going to cover them together, Eve and, and then Adam. And there in your notes, one of the things, and I've read this a couple times already, 
is that you need to realize about their role in this story is that they gave in to the temptation. The serpent, verse 1, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, had God indeed said, questioning the word of God, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees of the garden. You could read again all about that in, in Genesis 2. But the, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He rejected God's word, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And certainly that happened. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, we just talked about that, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Abraham and said, Where are you? He knew it was just finding out what Adam's state was. Verse 10. So I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Before sin, there wasn't any problem with that. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave to me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So let's talk about this for a minute. In this passage, I think there are three results of sin that are incredibly common today, too. And I think all of us, me too. When we're involved in sin in our lives like Eve and Adam were, it's very human for us to act this way too. Number one, do you notice in the story, I read it twice, is that they blamed others. God said to Adam, what'd you do? Well, my wife gave me. God said to Eve, what did you do? Well, the serpent. Folks, it's very human when we're involved in sin to blame somebody else for our dumb choices. It's somebody else's fault. It's their influence. It's this that happened or whatever. It's not my fault. It's not that I chose to sin. And that is so human today as well. The second thing is that if we're involved in sin, also that means we are guilty. We did it. God's word, please hear me. The Holy Spirit of God and the word of God is certainly big enough to convict you of sin. That's not my role. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Pastor Todd is not the Holy Spirit. It is God's job to tell you that there's sin. And God's word, if, we're, if you're in the word of God, believe me, that's going to happen. Remember I talk, talked a couple times on Wednesday nights and here in the morning and in the worship service about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Another great reason for studying scripture is that God's word by the Holy Spirit of God will convict us of sin. Adam hid, Eve hid, because they were guilty. They sinned. Adam and Eve hid because they also felt guilty. I think that's one of Satan's biggest strategies today. To the, remember he said, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. If he makes you feel guilty, then he wins. In fact, we don't need to feel guilty because God's word tells us that Jesus died on the cross to, that, to save us from our sin, to cover our sin. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. You don't have to walk around guilty. In fact, communion, we're going to do that in just a second. One of the things that happens in communion is that we ought to pray and take care of sin in our life. Confess that. Agree with God. It's sin. Let God cleanse us. Jesus did that on the cross. 
That's so important. And then number four, did you notice in the story that they hid from God? Kind of impossible that they hid humanly from God. I think that's, I think that's very human too. Did you ever notice when we're caught in sin, when people, God's people are caught in sin and we have those habitual sins of our, in our lives? Those are times that we don't like to be around God's people. We don't like to be around church. We don't like to be around believers. We don't because they're that feeling of guilt. We stay away from the word of God. It's a vicious cycle because we don't want God to convict us of sin. Folks, I'm convinced that happens all the time. All the time. And if we're right with God, if we're living with God and, and doing what, living for God and doing what God wants us to do, then we'll want to be with God. We'll want to be with God's people. We'll want to be with the Word of God. Read 1 John. And these are things that tell us about the results of sin from Adam and Eve. And I would be remiss not to at least show you this verse. Just Romans 5.12 says, Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all have sinned. All of us are sinners. We're born sinners and we choose to sin, every single one of us. But there's a solution for that. Praise God. The solution for our sin is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. We're going to celebrate that today. Study Romans 5. Jesus wins. Okay, And then the Lord Jesus Christ is part of this narrative as well. And I'm just going to do this quickly. Look, first of all, look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. He's talking to the serpent. Between your seed and her seed, capital S. She became the line of Mary and of Jesus. So he's there talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will bruise your head and later on, especially in Revelation, it tells us more about that. And you shall bruise Satan, you shall bruise his heel. You're going to get some victories, but in the end, Jesus wins. Second of all, don't forget that uh, Romans 6.23, in the, there's a typo there. It says 12. Cross that out. It's 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But, praise God, the gift, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Pray, praise God. And then study Revelation 20. Write that down, Revelation 20, or just circle it or something. Sometime and study that. Here's what it says. Satan loses, Jesus wins. For all eternity. That's why we need to make sure that you've put your faith, all of us need to make sure we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity and live for him. Live the way he wants us to live. Obey. Live the way he wants us to live. And then the plot of the story, and I'm going to do one little application thing and we're done. The plot of this story is, yeah, there is evil in the world. There is sin in the world. I've made that clear today, right? There is evil in the world today. Look around. There is sin in the world today. There is. But here's the plot. Christ wins. Christ wins. Jesus died on the cross, and he beat death. He beat the devil for all eternity. Satan's going to be in the lake of fire. Jesus wins. Now, on the back, we're going to turn the corner. And then Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6, that's another verse that you should memorize. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Don't forget, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have that resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ to help you resist the Satan, to help you stay away from sin, and all of those things to do what God wants us to do. You have that power. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So, Let's end by talking about your story. Your story. The setting of your story, the characters, and the plot. 
Your story, the setting of your story is your life and your circumstances. God gave you life. God put you in the circumstances, but also has given us, every one of us, the ability to make decisions. And sometimes we make bad choices like Eve and Adam did here. The characters, and, and, and I think it's important, that before, I, before I go on to that, and I put this verse on the top of the page, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God is at work in your life. Let Him work. By being in His Word. I've talked to you about that today. Listening to God, doing what God wants you to do in his life. The characters then in your story are Satan, you, and the Lord Jesus Christ. All day long I've talked to us about these choices. The choices that God allows us to make and we have, I don't understand it all, but we, we live and God is sovereign. But he also gives me, he also gives you the ability to make choices and we've all made dumb choices in our life. And we need to stop. And the way to stop is by the Word of God, letting the Holy Spirit use the tools that we have at our disposal to defeat Satan, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But we have to resist. We have to resist. And so the plot is, is it your way or God's way? That's the plot. The plot of our story is, are, we gonna, are you going to make your own choices and go your own way, or are you going to... Uh, listen to God that he's given us in his word that's that's the plot of our lives and so the end of the story which I hope is the end of my story my kids story my grandkids story your story is that Jesus wins and that's what we're going to talk about today is communion is that illustration that God has given the church to say that Jesus died on the cross shed his blood to cover our sins he rose again to beat Satan to beat the devil for eternity, Jesus wins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Adam and Eve. And Father, I just pray that you'd continue to use your word and the truth of your word in our hearts and our lives. Oh, God, help us to resist Satan's temptation to sin. God, if there's sin in my life, if there's sin in our lives, help us to confess that, to give it to you. Because your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross and shed his blood to cover my sin. God, help us not to live in sin. Help us not to accept sin and allow sin to reign. Resist the devil and he will flee. And we do that by the power of your word, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. Jesus wins. In his name we pray. Amen.